Welcome to this month's Fencing Stories. I'm delighted to say that there's no preamble from Jason and myself this month. Instead, we have three interviews. I'm interviewing Yanni Harding, a physio who helped me with fencing, Nia Aboate, who is an author, and to finish, Stefano Bacolo, who fences in Italy. Please enjoy. And of course, if you have any feedback, please email fencingstories at gmail.com. So I'd like to welcome to Fencing Stories, Yanni Harding. He's going to be doing a regular slot for us about health and fitness and sports and injury rehabilitation. Welcome to Fencing Stories, Yanni. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invite, Nick. No worries. No worries at all. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all, before I ask you any specific questions? Sure, no problem. Well, I have a background in health and fitness uh, spanning around 17 years now. I specialize more in the injury rehabilitation segment of health and fitness, but I've worked with uh, ranges of athletes from semi-professional to weekend warriors. Uh, I've also programmed many, many client strength and conditioning programs. My specific sport of choice is obviously drum training. I've practiced martial arts in the past, uh, and now my key physical activity is long distance running at the moment. So I'm a keen long distance runner. I've heard the word prehab used. Do you want to tell us what prehab means to you as kind of you're in that area, I think? Yeah, certainly. So prehabilitation has a number of different connotations depending on who you ask. But for me specifically, the term prehab means how can I take a potential client or sports performer and make them as strong as possible so that I can offset their risk to injury. Now, our longevity in training can be cut dramatically short by things like sports injuries. So it pays a huge homage to build into every strength and conditioning program an aspect of what I term prehabilitation. I know that I've fenced in the past at the school and we've had six weeks off in the summer. When mm-hmm. I've come back, I've felt incredibly slow, you know, like I'm asleep when I'm fencing as opposed to being quick like I want to be. Now I've moved into a different area. I'm fencing much, much more and having less long breaks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So having a break, enforced through injury is obviously going to affect my feeling of my speed and my abilities. Massively, yeah, hugely. I mean, you know, specific injuries, even as simple as something like a a tendinopathy, which is an inflammation of a tendon, can reoccur and become an issue. It it can sometimes take years of rehabilitation to to properly uh, rehabilitate these kind of disorders. So, Preventing these things before they become a problem is a huge advantage to any professional, semi-professional, even amateur athlete. So how would you go about knowing if you had a weakness in perhaps in in your fencing with regard to footwork or perhaps shoulder or anywhere really? So when I look at a client, I put them through a full procedure of physiological testing I look at their posture I look at the way they move so for example one of the key aspects in fencing is being able to balance and specifically being able to balance in a lunging position i.e. with one foot in front of the other so if I was to notice a movement in the lunge where people lunging forward or backward were becoming very very unstable on their feet I would look at areas such as their glutes, which are their buttocks. 
or also their ability to perform uh, stability in terms of their core abdominals, so around their midsection. Uh, essentially, it's the way people move. When you've been working with people for, for such a long time, you develop an eye for where people have weaknesses, where they need areas of work. Uh, you know, with with fencing, it's largely an asymmetrical movement. So it focuses in your either orthodox or unorthodox stance. So you're performing similar movements over and over with either one arm or one foot. So you can pick up on, on imbalances that generally have occurred over a period of time. And then you prescribe exercises to correct said imbalances to a degree. For example, if you were finding that during your lunging, you were feeling very, very unstable, you could look at stability exercises for the glutes. So things that involve single leg standing movements, you know, stability based movements on wobble boards. Also, uh, another key aspect that's of, uh, often overlooked is the way that the ankle stabilizes and the way that the ankle moves so for example i've come across clients who've had old outstanding uh, ankle injuries and it's affected their ability to move in a more fluid dynamic way so what i've then prescribed them is single leg standing exercises on things like wobble boards also making the exercises harder by closing your eyes and developing more proprioception. So proprioception is your body's own ability to sense your movement in space. So it's that, it's that classic reaction where one day you might have been out for a walk and you've gone to slip and automatically without even thinking, you've restabilized yourself. Yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely familiar to me with the running that I do. Mm -hmm. So to move on, yep. what basic advice would you give with regard to implementing a strength and conditioning regime? In regards to fencing, what you have to look at is you, you look at the breakdown of the activities. Fencing as a sport is very, very explosive and dynamic, and there's often long periods of recovery in between. So what I would suggest is anyone looking into strength programming in relation to improving their fencing would be to follow maybe something like this, uh, an initial eight-week period of strength development followed by a four-week dynamic power development phase. So during the eight week of strength development, what you would focus on are your static movements, big movements like, say, for example, things like squats, deadlifts, um, Bulgarian split squats and bench pressing, developing the strength in those muscle groups. So utilizing high loads at lower reps for more sets. So what that might look like, Nicholas, is going for 80% to 100% of your one repetition maximum, which I'll explain what that is in a minute, for three to five reps of five sets with a long three-minute recovery in between. So when I use the term percentage one rep max, it's essentially a percentage of what your one repetition maximum in any given exercise is. All of those numbers can be calculated via fitness testing. You know, when you are considering strength programming, always think of consulting a fitness professional because if you get a good one, they will help you in ways that you couldn't even imagine. So that would be the first eight weeks of the program, focusing on strength development. Then 
The following month, what I would do is then use power and speed development. So what that looks like is reducing the resistances, so bringing down the percentage of your one rep max you're utilizing, increasing the sets, and moderating the reps, and focusing in on turning that raw strength that you've just developed into functional power in your given sport. So you can go into more dynamic exercises where you're focusing on speed, agility, and quickness. All of these things that I'm talking about can be very, very easily researched. But again, I can't stress enough the importance of actually consulting someone who actually knows about this sort of stuff when you are exploring utilizing weight training and strength and conditioning work to improve your performance in your given sport. And if there's some good people in your local gym, they're going to be able to help you identify what your one rep max is in different movements, aren't they? Most definitely. Yeah, you know, and is is always seek out the best help you can, you know, and uh, what you have to do is you, you have to look at it as an investment rather than an expense. Um, too often we look at things that we invest our health and fitness uh, or investing our money in health and fitness is more of an expense, but it is very much an investment. If you are a keen fencer, you know, the benefits are so much better when you have someone who knows what they're doing. So Yanni, could you suggest perhaps one exercise that people might find useful? Yes, yeah, certainly. So one of the key muscles in your lower limb uh, that often is very undertrained is a muscle called tibialis posterior. Can you tell me what you mean by the lower limb? Yeah, so the lower limb, so anywhere from below your knee down to your ankle, essentially. So that would be your lower limb. So, you know, you've heard of your calf muscles, you know, they form part of the, the lower limb. But there are actually many, many muscles in the lower limb that, you know, perform functional directional changes during fencing. One key muscle is tibialis posterior. Uh, what tibialis posterior does is it points your toes down, which in anat anat anatomical terms is called plantar flexion, and it rotates your foot inwards, which is called inversion. And it's a hugely important muscle in fencing because of the dynamic explosive nature of it. Often people can suffer from tendinopathies or inflammation in the actual tendon of this muscle. So a excellent exercise for anyone to get into the habit of doing is with a TheraBand, which is a big rubber band, which you buy from therapy outlets, gym shops. Uh, you utilize it, you tie it off next to a sturdy piece of furniture or a banister wrap it around your foot, and you practice pointing your toe and inverting your foot, so pulling your big toe towards the midline of your body. And just repeat that, you know, 15, 20 reps for three to five sets, gradually increasing the resistance of the band, and you'll notice that your ability to change direction and move much more efficiently in fencing will improve. We're not talking huge amounts, but it will certainly give you a little bit more added benefit. Are you pulling it towards the inside? Yes. So you're, you're turning your leg as if you're pointing your toes in? Yeah, so if you guys want to um, see any videos of this, just go tibialis posterior exercises, type them into YouTube, and then more, more, more often than not, you'll actually see the banded exercise I'm talking about. Um, it's kind of hard to explain without 
you know, some sort of video reference. But yes, in a sense, what you would do is you would sit side on to the band, put the band around your foot, and then bring your toe in and point your toe down towards the ground. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. That sounds like, did you say dorsiflexion? No, so that's plantar flexion. So a a, dors, a dorsiflexor is the tibialis anterior muscle. So it's the it's the and it's the opposite muscle to the tibialis posterior, and that's at the front of your your leg. Yeah, it's the muscle yeah. that brings your toes up into dorsiflexion. Yeah. Also, another key muscle to train is is that muscle because it it, it aids in the setup. So obviously lifts your toes up, which will then allow you to push the toes down more effectively. So if you have weakness there or a limited range of motion in the ankle, uh, it's going to be of great benefit to you to actually strengthen up the, the, the tibialis anterior muscle too. And I'm guessing that this exercise will help with having stability, but also being able to have a dynamic and explosive ability to change direction. It's it's yes exactly it's it's more tailored towards the the strengthening of that specific muscle to allow you to generate more power not really in terms of stability but you know in terms of being able to move more efficiently how will this exercise help what what particular element of fencing will it will it will it help with so in terms of strengthening up the tibialis posterior and anterior, it's going to help you during the activation and recovery phase of your lunges. It's also going to help you stay more nimble on your feet. Yanni, thank you so much. Um, just to explain a little bit about how I've met Yanni, Yanni really, really helped me with when I had a bit of a shoulder injury and that stopped me from fencing. It stopped me from being able to do fitness and Yanni was a, a massive, massive help. And then I worked with him after that with regard to strength and also specific fencing movements. Yeah, Nicholas was a very, very great client. You know, he was absorbing all the information I was giving him and he'd done exactly uh, what uh, what I asked of him. And uh, therefore, he made a, a, a terrific recovery. So credit where credit is due, Nick. Uh, in rehabilitation, sometimes you're only as good as your students. <laughs> Definitely, the number of physios that say that <laughs> they give people exercises and they don't do them and they people, don't get better exactly people pay you all this money they don't go home and do the homework and they end up suffering so you know listen to people guys listen when you're paying for a service make sure you get out there and you do your homework so yanni how could people get in touch with you if they wanted to reach out so the easiest way, Nicholas, is through Instagram. If you search me up, I uh, am a co-owner and co-founder of Logical Lifters, all one word. So if you go into Instagram and find me there, you can send me a personal message on Insta and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Or you can also contact me via my email, which is ptwithyanni, all one word, all lowercase, at outlook.com. That's perfect. Thanks so much for joining us, Yanni, and hopefully we'll speak again next month. You're welcome, Nicholas. Nice one, guys. Nice to meet you all. Take care. So welcome to Fencing Stories near Aboate. <laughs> Thanks, Nicholas. You got it right. Great job. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what good coaching does, so thank you. So you're an author. Can you tell us where your whereabouts in the world you're based? Um, absolutely. I am in the United States. I live um, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is about an hour north of Chicago. 
Tell us a little bit about your books. I know you've got a book series that includes lots of things about different sports. Oh, yes, I'd love to. So my name is Mia Boate. I am an author and I'm also an athlete. I originally was skiing and snowboarding and in the off season I picked up a sport called triathlons or triathletes so I swim bike and run and um, a couple of years ago I wanted to encourage my niece to take up the sport and I couldn't find a book that reflect a color a character that looked like her And so I decided to write one. And so my first book, I Am a Triathlete, came (laughs) out in 2020 um, and did exceptionally well. And so I decided to write a series of books, (laughs) children's books, picture books. Um, But I often say, not just for children, it's for everyone. And so I decided to write a series of books um, for sports that I've often um, found an interest in. Um, so my second book is a ski and snowboarding book. Um, and then my third one um, is a hockey book. And last but not least, um, my um, fourth book is a fencing book. <laughs> so what's, what's the title of the fencing book? Yeah, so um, all of them fall under the series Exploring All I Can Do Fencing. So that is the name of the fencing book. So it's Exploring All I Can Do Skiing and Snowboarding, Exploring All I Can Do Hockey, and then Exploring All I Can Do Fencing. And then your first one was Exploring All I Can Do Triathlon. Yes. Well, it was, I am a triathlete and now I've kind of rolled that book into the series. So I've kind of changed it a little bit, um, modified it, but now that book is rolled into the series. So yes. (laughs) So I, exploring all I can do, triathlete. (laughs) Can you tell us why, why you wrote a book about fencing? I came across the sport. There was a movie that I saw and I became fascinated uh, with the sport since then. I think it was called The Fencer. It's 2015 or or so. Um, I came across that movie. It had subtitles and I'm a subtitle girl. (laughs) And so I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed um, watching it. It's something that was so graceful about it. And so... um, I dug a little deeper about the sport and just, you know, there are a couple of um, players or fencers that um, for me, um, I believe uh, there is a brother and sister team, I wouldn't say team, brother and sister fencers, um, the smarts. And I remember that story (laughs) coming across as well. And it, it resonated with me because I have an older brother and um, I could imagine both of us in that kind of similar (laughs) journey um, with both our parents motivating us to do more. And uh, and so the smarts, (laughs) um, I've always um, had a certain affinity to their story as well. So yeah, there have been a couple of people in the in the fencing world that I really um, have enjoyed. And so it's been um, something for me that I've been excited about. So fencing is one of those things that um, I enjoy watching. Is that what your connection to fencing is? Or have you done fencing yourself? 
I my connection is um, seeing it and watching it. And um, when I came up with this story um, for my children's book, I was like, I got to do this. Like my whole <laughs> series ex- is exploring all you can do. And so my thought is, you know, you got to get in the class and see how this is. And so I start looking uh, where could I get lessons at um, in my home state here um, in Wisconsin and um, was... <laughs> Um, signed it for lessons and had anticipated and then the pandemic happened. And since then, I just have not had the opportunity to sign up for classes. But um, it is something that I want to experience and explore. And Nia, you've really got what, to. You've got it. You've I got know, to get in I there. You have I to. I know. I know. <laughs> and I'm, I'm one of those people, like I recruit people with me. So I, it, it's been funny because as I talk about it, I've had so many friends say, oh, let me know. I want to go. And <laughs> So, you know, the tough part now is you got a couple people interested and we have to figure out how to organize it for everyone to go. So, yes. But then with a group, I guess that encourages you to continue going, doesn't it? Because you're there with your friends and your mates and you're learning together and you're learning different things. Yeah, and that's the beauty of my series is that there are so many aspects of life that people should just explore, you know, that there shouldn't be limitations to things just because you, um, you know, it's not as familiar to you, right? So, you know, here in America, there are sports that are really popular, right? <laughs> um, I, I live in Wisconsin and we have the Milwaukee Bucks and um, they are a basketball team and they were in the playoffs. And <laughs> and so it's been popular, you know, here in my state to support them. But there are so many other sports like fencing that people should just explore. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, in the UK, fencing is definitely a minority sport for, for sure. There's soccer or well, football, soccer, um, rugby and cricket, they're the main three ah, yes. for us. And then yeah. uh, every once in a while, the Olympics will come along and there'll be a sudden influx to the uh, less popular sports. Mm-hmm. And some of those people stick, which is great. And some of them don't, which is fine. But still, my my favourite form of fencing. So how have your books been received? What sort of feedback have you had from them? Well, my I Am a Triathlete book, um, I did a crowdfunding for that one. Um, and that's basically where um, it's part of a Kickstarter. So basically what you do is you set a goal and you send it out into the world and inquire for people to support it. <laughs> and so uh-huh. my goal for my first book, I Am a Triathlete, was $5,000. And I was able to raise $16,000 wow. um, to bring that story to life. And so um, because of that, I, I was able to leverage that into my series. And so now for my series, I am doing a crowdfunder now um, to gain funds to do a bulk order um, for the series. So now people can um, support my crowdfunder for my three new books in the series. And um, that's going on right now. You can find it in um, Kickstarter and look at ex- and, and search Exploring All I Can Do or go to my website, Nia, Nia the Author. <laughs> Nia, this is called Fencing Stories. Do you have a fencing mm-hmm. story? I would say my fencing story is from a fan, from 
from being a fan. Um, one of the um, beauties of being a fan is that um, when um, companies like Mattel comes out with something that's pretty cool, for example, uh, my niece uh, received uh, the Barbie of um, one of your famous fencers, Muhammad, um, the first fencer to be in a hug job. <laughs> um, and I thought that was amazing. Um, it, in actuality, she doesn't even really play with it. It's like a collectible. <laughs> so it's one of those things that's still in the box. Yes. <laughs> and it's just amazing to me. So I think um, stories like that, um, that's really my, you know, my passion that I find so interesting to kind of see the world through um, my nieces and nephews and having them experience and see people that look like them um, doing um, sports that may not be as popular or mainstream, but they find interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even aware that there was a Barbie collectible that was a fencer. It is. It is. That's amazing. Google it now, Nicholas. Google it now. <laughs> and she's all, she's in her all white and she has her jab on. Oh, my goodness. It is pretty cool. <laughs> One last question for you, Nia. What does the future hold for you? Is it going to be more more books? Absolutely. <laughs> In fact, um, I'm illustrating one now and looking for an Ill illustrator for the next one. Um, once again, it's important that um, people see themselves in books. And so my journey started with, you know, not being able to find a, a, a book for my niece, a character of color, um, doing something that I enjoy. And so I wanted to make sure that I could help fill that gap. And so my books now include illustrators of color, um, characters of color, and are written by a person of color myself um, because um, there is a gap um, in books that represent um, people of color. And so, hey, I'm filling that gap and I'm exploring the things that I enjoy seeing and watching <laughs> and or may explore more. <laughs> so can I, can I make a pitch to you? Yeah, absolutely. So you need to do exploring all I can do foil, exploring all I can do epee, and exploring oh. all I can do saber, which probably needs to lean heavily towards the pictures on that one for obvious reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, part of my journey has always been for to encourage people to tell their own stories as well, right? You know, I hope that my book um, influences others to write their own stories and write more books about fencing. Because when you search now, um, you know, it's hard to find um, books with people of color, but, you know, also for children's books, like these are going to this is going to inspire our new generation of fencers, potentially, right? <laughs> um, additional fans to the sport. And that just brings me joy. The fact that uh, my book could potentially um, inspire the next Olympian. <laughs> well, that's magic. Thanks so much for speaking to us, Nia. 
Thank you, Nicholas. I really appreciated it talking to you today. Well, thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Welcome to Fencing Stories, Stefano Bacolo. Stefano fences at Milano Piccolo Teatro, which is a theatre group, or it's come from a theatre group in Italy, and Stefano is going to tell us all about it. So welcome, Stefano. Hello, Nicolas. Thank you. So, Stefano, tell us about how you discovered fencing. Yes. Um, well, I discovered fencing uh, uh, as a little boy, I think, uh, from uh, books, uh, television. And uh, I was uh, immediately uh, fascinated by this sport and uh, uh, I wanted badly to practice it. Uh, but uh, in my town, uh, I live in a little town in, uh, in the countryside uh, near Milan, <coughs> there was uh, an offensive school. Uh, so I had uh, to wait uh, some year before uh, uh, I could... Uh, uh, effectively uh, try fencing and uh, I tried the fencing for the first time when I was uh, uh, 15 years old uh, and I could uh, uh, go uh, by myself uh, in uh, another uh, bigger town uh, always near Milan that's uh, Pavia and uh, there I started uh, fencing for the first time uh, before that uh, I uh, just uh, loved uh, this sport uh, through books, uh, books uh, especially. And which weapon did you start with, Stefano? Uh, we uh, started uh, with uh, uh, the EP uh, because um, uh, there is a strong tradition of uh, uh, EP in northern Italy. And um, uh, in Italy, there is this uh, quite uh, particular thing that uh, uh, the country is uh, divided in areas with uh, different traditions. So, for example, uh, foil is more, uh, uh, more uh, frequent uh, in uh, central Italy and uh, uh, sabre in uh, southern Italy. And uh, epe is more frequent in northern Italy, even if there are exceptions. <laughs> so does the... Italian National Fencing Organization, Italia Schelma, do anything locally for your club or for your community? Uh, well, yes, uh, the uh, Feder Scherma, the Italian Federation uh, of Fencing, uh, is uh, one of the most uh, ancient uh, uh, federation. Uh, it was uh, uh, founded by Agisilao Greco uh, that uh, was uh, uh, one of the great uh, fencer and uh, uh, teachers uh, of uh, uh, the uh, early uh, 20th century. And the federation is uh, really mm, very mm, present on the territory. The federation has uh, uh, a regional committee in each, uh, in each uh, region of Italy. Uh, Italy is divided into 20, 21 reg regions. And um, uh, each uh, region is divided in uh, provinces, and each province also has its uh, uh, its uh, representative of the federation. Uh, there is an electoral system uh, in which uh, uh, any uh, fencing club can take part, 
and so um, everything uh, in Italy is organized uh, by the Federation uh, through its uh, various branches. Including and, things like more local or age group competitions? Uh, yeah, um, let's say that uh, the Federation uh, encourages uh, uh, having um, uh, competitions uh, at uh, any level. So uh, sometimes there are uh, provincial competitions, sometimes uh, regional competitions, sometimes uh, mm, uh, there are clubs uh, that uh, um, make uh, their own uh, competitions, but uh, uh, under the protection, let's say, uh, of the uh, Federskerma. Uh, so um, Federskerma also um, gives um, uh, financial help uh, where uh, a club uh, needs it for uh, maybe organizing an event. I see. Can you tell us how fencing is organized across Italy? Yeah, um, as I was uh, saying, uh, mm, the Federation is uh, uh, divided in uh, so many branches and uh, so uh, there are also uh, many divisions in uh, uh, categories on the base uh, of uh, age, obviously. And uh, uh, so there are uh, both uh, um, uh, competitions uh, uh, at a national level uh, for each age, but also uh, regional ones. And uh, uh, the, um, uh, the federal competitions at national levels uh, have uh, a series of, uh, um, of uh, minor competitions uh, uh, that uh, are held uh, in, uh, uh, in an area uh, that represents uh, three, four, five regions uh, to uh, gain admission to the national level. So they're like qualifying championships. Qualifying championships, ex exactly. Tell me a little bit about the the Little Theatre Fencing Club. Yeah, um, Il Piccolo Teatro di Milano uh, is um, a society that uh, was founded uh, in the uh, 50s, I think, uh, uh, by a theatre director, uh, Mr. Streller. Uh, Mr. Streller was... Um, uh, a famous director uh, in Italy and uh, loved uh, badly fencing <laughs> and uh, he uh, thought that uh, actors needed to uh, learn fencing not only uh, for theatrical reasons uh, not only uh, for uh, the, uh, the the stage uh, uh, fencing uh, that we can see in uh, in uh, some uh, in some pieces, uh, but uh, also because uh, fencing was uh, um, a, a noble sport that uh, uh, gave uh, to the people uh, practicing it uh, um, a greater understanding of, uh, uh, of their, uh, their body. And uh, so uh, he thought that actors uh, would uh, be more expressive if they did fencing. Because they understand the, the poise, the yeah. positioning more exactly. clearly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so um, he founded uh, this uh, this club, uh, and uh, initially it was uh, uh, 
very amateurish. Uh, but uh, with time, uh, the club attracted uh, the, um, uh, the veterans, uh, uh, I mean uh, all, uh, all the fences of, uh, uh, of an age uh, uh, between uh, 40 and uh, 60. And um, uh, those people uh, started uh, making uh, competitions uh, for veterans. And uh, so uh, the club uh, uh, became a, a reference point for veterans competitions. And uh, with time, uh, it uh, attracted uh, some um, uh, very good teachers, uh, some uh, metro d'arme, you call them, right? Uh, and uh, uh, those people uh, were able to uh, transform this club in uh, a, a very agonistic club. Nowadays, uh, uh, we have uh, two fencing Olympic champions, uh, Marco Fichera uh, and uh, Santarelli, uh, who are um, in our society, in our club uh, uh, in Milan. You've had some successes. I suppose because of it not coming through a school and it being an adult organisation, that's allowed then your top, your better quality coaches to come because they know that the fences there are more serious. Would that be true? Mm, no. Well, uh, it was uh, part uh, coincidences and part um, due to uh, the uh, good willing uh, of uh, the council uh, managing the club. The, the president of the club uh, was uh, very good at uh, uh, attracting people to our, to our society and uh, he uh, agreed uh, some years ago uh, to, to have uh, as a um, teacher in our society uh, Andrea Candiani who is uh, uh, I think one of the best fencing teacher uh, of Italy. And um, uh, he is the teacher of uh, uh, Santarelli and Fichera and Garozzo. And uh, uh, he brought uh, the champions uh, with him. That makes, that makes sense. So it's almost like just knowing the right people and networking and getting a little bit lucky. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Stefano, does your club organize competitions itself? Uh, quite rarely, um, to be sincere. Mm, we organized, uh, before COVID, uh, we organized uh, some uh, regional competition. Uh, we uh, were host for some uh, uh, private championship linked uh, to, to also other organizations. Uh, loving uh, fencing in Italy uh, but um, uh, after uh, after the the covid uh, we stopped the organized competitions for now uh, we held uh, periodically um, some uh, um, competition reserved to to the uh, members of the club but uh, we have not uh, any more um, championship open to, to everyone. So if you were to organize one in the future, would there be a possibility of a, a team competition that we could attend? 
<laughs> that would be wonderful. That uh, would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, um, let's say that uh, uh, I would uh, really, really like uh, to organize the competition uh, in um, in uh, Milan or uh, in our town uh, Voghera. Uh, uh, as I told before, um, I am from uh, this uh, little town and uh, uh, we have uh, a club that's uh, um, affiliated to the, the central club of uh, Milan, of the Piccolo Teatro. So uh, we uh, say we are uh, um, a subsidiary uh, society uh, and uh, we have uh, 50, 50 fencers and uh, we would uh, really like also to uh, organize uh, some competition uh, in uh, in our uh, town um, for now it was impossible but it would be really really nice uh, for example we nurtured the dream of um, a competition uh, dedicated uh, to uh, carlo pavesi carlo pavesi was um, an Olympic champion uh, during the 50s and 60s uh, from our town and uh, uh, I would uh, really like uh, to have uh, a memorial competition uh, for him uh, in our town uh, in uh, the future and uh, maybe we could uh, uh, follow the example of the Trinity College that uh, uh, each year have this uh, really, really nice uh, uh, memorial for uh, uh, Professor Duffy. And uh, uh, that would be a fine example to, to follow. Excellent. Excellent. So let's finish off then with just three words that describe your fencing ethos, Stefano. Okay. <laughs> This is uh, difficult. Yeah, that's really difficult. Just three words. Uh, let's say, um, let's say, history, because uh, fencing is uh, a sport that uh, has a really deep, uh, really deep uh, um, stories behind. Uh, um, I, I mean. Uh, uh, it's uh, a, a trust uh, through the centuries <laughs> and um, the second uh, word is uh, uh, is in italian is uh, spada <laughs> that's uh, how we call epe and uh, for us uh, uh, in northern italy uh, fencing is epe so uh, we we really really love uh, uh, this particular uh, discipline i sometimes have played the card game scopa <laughs> and i'm aware of the spada yeah 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 of course i didn't yeah. know they were epi thank you yeah it, it's that it's that and uh, the third word uh, um i think uh, is uh, uh education because um, for us, uh, uh, teaching fencing uh, in uh, this uh, little town uh, in the province, uh, uh, 
fencing is uh, really, really, really much about uh, uh, helping uh, uh, young, uh, young boys uh, to find their places. Well, thank you very much, Stefano, for joining us on Fencing Stories. I hope everybody's enjoyed the interview. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, so thank you very much. It was really, really a pleasure for me. Thank you, Nicholas. So welcome back to Fencing Stories, Stefano. Thank you, Nicholas. We're going to now run through the Screamer of the Month. So in a second, I'm going to play you three screams, but your job is to understand the fencer who's doing the scream. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah. Excellent. So, Stefano, which one do you think of those three is the fencer doing the scream? Do you think it's okay. the first scream, the second scream, or the third scream? Uh, absolutely, I would say the first one, uh, the, the, the female uh, scream. Okay, well, I'm delighted to say that you're wrong. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Wonderful. It's from I, it... I really hope uh, the, the correct answer is not uh, the second scream because it seems really, really like an animal. <laughs> the second, so the first one is by It's Oh So Quiet by Björk. Okay. The second one is someone doing death metal, and the third one is the fencer. The fencer, okay. So that, I'm that's, so uh, sorry that you've got this wrong, but thank you no very problem. much for trying. I, I tried, and I'm happy with it. <laughs> well, Magic, thank you for rejoining me, and hopefully I'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank Ciao. you, Nicholas. Ciao. Hi, Jason. Hi, Nick. Jason, where'd you get your kit? I get all my stuff for our club armourer but I think he gets it from Ian at PVT UK. Me too. I get my stuff from Ian using his website, pbtukfencing.co.uk. What did you get from them last time? Oh, I needed a rewire. I needed a rewire desperately. Between Christmas and New Year, I had a couple of weapons that went down. Right before a competition? I needed it pretty quickly. So I got in touch with Ian, sent it through to me, and I had it by the end of the week. That's really great service. He does testing and repairs of equipment too, doesn't he? He does everything. Masks, jackets, weapons, but also repairs, so very useful. And do you know what the best thing is? They actually have a real shop that you can go and visit to try stuff on. Oh, that's useful because if you need a mask, and you always need to try them on just to make sure they're not flopping around. Well, you wouldn't want a floppy mask, would you? Especially after Christmas, getting those breeches back on. <laughs> too many mince pies. Well, I know where I'll be going next time I need some fencing equipment. So visit pbtukfencing.co.uk.